Has anything terrible ever happened to you? It's a simple question. Has your life sucked? Tell her the truth. There is no truth. Drag out our story. Maybe all we've done is make a girl cry. She's talking about what happened. That's huge. Two weeks left in 2018. How's the year been? 2018 finally winding down. Uh, I hope your holiday season has been going well. Uh, hopefully you're not Ebenezer Scrooge and absolutely despise Christmas. Well, unfortunately, I kind of am this year at least. Uh, Christmas, Christmas has always been... Uh, my absolute favorite time of year. I absolutely love the overall season. I always have. You know, I'm from Wisconsin, so uh, I'm used to the cold time of year, snow on the ground, Christmas lights everywhere, Christmas music, just being around uh, family and the people that matter to you the most. It's always been my absolute favorite time of the year the whole season you know i'm some people don't like listening to christmas music early like you know i think they started playing it here uh, after halloween even i remember when I, when I was younger my mom always used to complain when they would start it the week before thanksgiving she's like it's not even thanksgiving yet but i've, I've kind of always been the closet christmas music lover and i'll i'll listen to it uh, like I said, Halloween, whatever, start getting in that Christmas mood. And then December 26th kind of sucks because it's like, well, now it's over. Nobody's playing Christmas music anymore. Lights are going to start coming down. Trees are going to start coming down. But this year, uh, I kind of... I kind of feel a lot like a Scrooge, and I, I'm kind of against Christmas this year. And, and I'm going to tell you why. It's not even that I'm against it. It's just it's because it because I like Christmas so much, the thought of Christmas this year is, is a little bit depressing for me. Uh, I, well, number one, uh, I've been in Vegas for five years. And this will be, let's see, so I moved here in 2013, so 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. This will actually be my sixth Christmas since I've been in Las Vegas, and it'll be my first one that I have not been able to go home for Christmas. So it'll be the first time that I'm spending Christmas here in Vegas and not with my family. So that's that's a little bit difficult for me. I'm also not going to be spending Christmas with my daughter. Uh, she will be with her mom this year. You know, in the even years, I have her for Thanksgiving, and her mom has her for Christmas, and the next year we'll, we'll switch. So the, the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, alternate between me and her mom uh, every other year. 
So I won't have her for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day either. You know, some people with their uh, child custody arrangements and stuff, they try to split up Christmas or they try to make it like, you know, you're going to have Christmas Eve and I'm going to have Christmas Day. They might keep it the same way every year or they might uh, they might switch. So off Christmas Eve this year, you'll have Christmas Day and the next year it'll be vice versa. Well, my ex and I didn't do it that way. We made Christmas Eve and Christmas Day like a package holiday, like you get both of them. And the reason it sucks for years like this when I'm not going to see her at all. But the reason that we did that is because I've got my family in Wisconsin, so and I I I want to try to go home for Christmas as often as I can. So <clears throat> so basically, I end up with not wanting to have her just one of those two days when I'm going to be flying all the way back to Wisconsin. So that that was kind of the the idea and the trade off. So fair's fair. She's with her mom for the whole Christmas holiday this year. And the last big reason is I got to work. I got to work Christmas Eve and Christmas Day this year. Couldn't get out of it. I think that's also the first year I've been here in Vegas that that's happened to me. This is my sixth Christmas and I'm stuck working both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Can't get out of it. It is what it is. So I've basically decided to skip Christmas this year. I didn't put up any lights. I didn't uh, buy a tree. I hardly bought any gifts. I told people I don't want gifts. I don't, I, I know my parents are going to send me something that I'm not going to get out of that, but the gifts that I'm buying for my family to ship home are basically gift cards because well, number one, ease and convenience. It's I have a lot of family, so it's not easy to to ship actual presents to them. And and secondly, you know, I think I'm just Christmas shopping is not fun for me when I know in the back of my mind that Christmas this year sucks. So that's why I'm skipping Christmas. I'm. I told a bunch of my friends, you know, jokingly, I'm I'm kind of a Scrooge this year because I'm not even listening to Christmas music. I'm not doing any of those things. I'm trying to avoid anything Christmassy as much as I can because I'm gonna end up with those dual polar emotions, like you know, the happiness that I get from just looking at a Christmas light display outside someone's front yard. But at the same time, I'm going to get that depression from the fact that I'm not going to see my family. I'm not going to see my daughter. I'm going to be stuck at work. You know, a couple of my friends even invited me to their house for Christmas dinner or whatever. And it's like, oh, I really appreciate that. and I'm, I'm glad that you're thinking of me, but unfortunately I won't be able to make it because I have to work. So like I said, it is it is what it is. Hopefully your experience for Christmas this year will be a little bit better. One thing I do want to share with you, though, is a song that I really want you to listen to the lyrics. I'm sure you've heard it, especially if you listen to Christmas music. But I want you to listen to the song and and really remember what Christmas is all about.
I guess part of me wishes that experiences like that didn't happen in just songs or movies or fairy tales. I I listened to a song like that, especially this year, and I kind of wish maybe that would be something that would happen to me, you know, because I can hear the song and I can think, man, I really like that song. And I, I, I really like that, you know, in the beginning of the song, he says he's not really in the Christmas mood. And then obviously he has this experience. And at the end of the song, he says, I caught a glimpse of heaven's love. And he knew right then and there that God sent that little boy to remind him what Christmas is all about. And so I hear that and I'm thinking to myself, well, I guess I'm kind of a shitty person for my idea of skipping Christmas this year, but then I kind of remember, number one, I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. And I don't believe in those types of fairy tales. So it kind of, it's kind of sad. It's kind of sad, sad little, sad little life that I lead, I guess. <laughs> but that stress that I have had for the last few weeks, you know, it, it, it does lead to some good things. So every once in a while, uh, I experience and go through a little phase of, of what I call emotion overload. And... I think it's maybe something that I, maybe I experience it more than normal people because of borderline personality disorder, uh, or maybe I just handle the emotion overload or I respond to the emotion overload a little differently because of BPD, or or maybe it's just uh, more intense for someone who suffers from BPD. So when I say emotion overload, what I mean is essentially too many emotions at once. And to illustrate this, let me let me have you picture a an empty milk jug, a gallon, an empty jug. And throughout your day, your different experiences, different people that you talk to, songs that you hear, things that you see on TV, Anything at all that happens during your day that creates some level of emotion inside of you, you pour a little water into it. The water will be the emotion. So maybe, you know, you hear a song like that, that creates a little bit of emotion inside of you. So maybe that emotion is worth, let's say, five ounces. So you pour five ounces into your gallon jug. And throughout your day, you're, you're filling that jug and the more that your day is filled with predictability and uh, daily routine things, such as going to work, if you go to work and you work customer service and you constantly deal with angry people, that might be, uh, over time, you might be adding even more water into that jug because every time someone tells you, you know, that you guys don't 
help customers or, or whatever. Someone calls you a name or something that just really gets under your skin. You're not only experiencing it that one time, but you're also experiencing it from the last time someone made a similar complaint or a similar comment that upset you or got to you just a little bit. So last time when, you know, yesterday when someone called you an idiot, that uh, <clears throat> that emotional response may have been worth, say, four ounces in your in your jug of water. But today, because it's now two days in a row, you've heard two different people say it, now it's maybe worth six ounces. It happens again tomorrow, it might be worth eight ounces. Okay? So like I said, as you go through your day, the more routine it is, the more emotion that that's worth because you're almost re-experiencing the same original feelings that you had in a similar situation in your past. I don't know if I'm illustrating that clearly, but um, it, at least it makes it makes sense in my head. Uh, so anyways, you go through your gallon jug and you, you're filling this up. And the only time that you get to pour out what's in that jug is basically sleeping or doing something completely unpredictable, unroutine, you know, completely out of your norm. That's when you get to kind of unload or un think of it as unwinding. Maybe you go on a vacation or you you go um you know, you go out on a date with your significant other. And you just have a good time, something like that. So you get to you get to unwind a little bit of that, or maybe you just you sit on you sit by yourself on your own, take a nap, you know, some something like that to kind of unwind and relax. Working out, running, things like that. Well, if you don't do enough of that unwinding, obviously that gallon jug is going to get full. And that's when you get into that emotion overload. You you start pouring water into a jug of water that is already overflowing and you're trying to pour more water and it ain't going to fit. You're just going to make a mess everywhere. So, like I said, I don't I don't know the differences between my emotion overload and someone else's, but my gut feeling or my interpretation of when I look at other people and how they handle different things I think that a part of me, because of when you have when you have borderline personality disorder, a, a part of what happens is everything is like magnified. So let's say that song that we listened to a few minutes ago, let's say for a normal person that song is worth three ounces of emotion. For me, it'd be worth six. So I'd fill my jug a lot faster than someone else, and I, I'd. I would need to unwind a lot more frequently, essentially. But not only that, the manner in which I unwind is going to be more extreme than a normal person. I can't decide to take an hour off and just go sit on the couch and watch part of a movie to relax. That won't allow me to relax because whatever I choose to watch... Whatever it is, is going to spark even more emotions. I'm going to get into more emotion overload. 
and there is no true relaxing there. One of the only things that I can do that's usually successful is is basically going for a run. I sometimes do distance running and just the routine of breathe in, breathe out, feet hitting the ground as you're running. There's something about that that's uh, relaxing for me. If you run a lot, maybe you can relate to that. But even that is not foolproof because if I'm very stressed out, sometimes running just makes me more stressed out because all I'm doing is thinking and processing what I'm going through and you know what, what that stressor might be. So if I have a bad day, you know, I might, uh, the the response could be a little more extreme than what a normal person would do. A normal person might have a bad day and decide to take the next day off work. I might take the next two days off work or the next three days off work. And that, and that's actually what I did uh, this last week. I took three days off work last minute and I ran away from Las Vegas uh, to the Grand Canyon. Uh, by myself I absolutely love the Grand Canyon I absolutely love being outside in nature kind of a photography enthusiast I take a ton of pictures I love landscape photography so I went and spent a few days by myself in the Grand Canyon and that type of thing helps that emotion overload because number one I'm going by myself yeah there's going to be other people there but not people that I have to talk to, not people I know, not people I'm interacting with. I'm kind of a loner. I really only talk to the employee at the hotel when I checked in. You know, not even casual conversation, just I'm here to check in. I didn't talk to anyone at the park. And that kind of response, you know, allows me to unwind that emotion overload. And you know what, when I know that it was successful, is that I don't know after the fact, like right now, I'm back home now, I know that the trip was successful because I don't know what it was that put me over the edge. I don't remember anymore. And that's how I gauge my success if I successfully reset myself, and I've, I've talked about this on, on the program before, every once in a while you need, I think I use the term reset, you need to reset, you get that emotion overload, you need to reset, you need to dump out all the water in the jug and start with a brand new empty one. And I don't remember what put me over the edge last week. I know that in general, over the last few weeks, what the things that have been getting to me and bothering me, mostly this stuff about Christmas. But I don't know what, because at some point there was a single event that made me realize I need to get out of Las Vegas. I need to take a few days off work and I need to go away for a few days. And that's what I did. I came back and I don't remember what that was. So therefore, I know that the trip was a success because it's no longer something in my mind. And that's the whole point. 
So when you feel like that overloaded emotion, and I'm not saying you got to go on, you know, go on a, a three, four day trip every time you have a bad day. But every once in a while, that type of thing is is necessary. If you get into that emotion overload and you decide to unwind by sitting down in a chair and reading a book for an hour, that may not be enough. And for me, I know that if I were to try that as a method of unwinding, that would create more stress for me at the end of that one hour of sitting quietly reading. I'd be even more stressed out because I'd know, number one, I wasted that hour. I'd know it was a failure. I know it, I would know that it didn't work. And when I try to unload those emotions and it fails, that creates a lot more stress. So I think that's, I think that's partially why, uh, when you have BPD, you have to unwind in those, I guess, more extreme ways. Break that routine for, for more than an hour or two. Break the routine for three days. That's what makes it a little more successful. And and what's funny about this is, like, for example, if you go online and you Google borderline personality disorder symptoms, I can almost guarantee one of the symptoms on there, any website that you look at that talks about BPD, will describe one of the key symptoms as being impulsiveness. People with BPD are very impulsive. And that's kind of a part of why. It's not just, oh, I'm, I'm just, I want to go shopping, so I'm going to go shopping and I'm going to go buy something. That might be part of it. I know I've done that before. And I'll talk about that in a second. But there is a that deeper issue for the impulsivity. It's not just because whatever, because I'm impulsive and I just do random shit all the time. A lot of it is like someone from the outside that doesn't have BPD thinks, oh, these people are impulsive. Someone on the outside looks at me. They see me on... Sunday morning to take off Sunday, Monday, Tuesday and go spend those three days at the Grand Canyon. How random. How random. So somebody that doesn't struggle with that emotion overload to the same degree doesn't understand why I do that. And they look at it as being impulsive, impulsive behavior. And they they don't really look for the deeper issue of of uh, the reason why. And I've noticed that a lot with books and magazines and websites and things that, that talk about borderline and the symptoms of borderline. That they, they mention the impulsiveness, but they don't even venture into the why. Why are we impulsive? And there's there's uh, other types of being impulsive, like uh, like I I mentioned uh, shopping. A lot of people with with borderline, uh, they go shopping a lot and they buy expensive things that might not seem to really mean anything or be important or anything like that. Something that you need, and they kind of seem to do it without really thinking about it. I'll give you I'll give you a perfect example here. This this just happened to me last week. 
like I said, I, I really like photography, which by the way, if you get into photography, it's a very expensive hobby. And I have spent a bunch of money on photography, software and equipment. And most of those purchases were relatively impulsive. But just recently, I said I went to the Grand Canyon. I One of my things is uh, night photography. I love taking pictures of stars, the Milky Way, the moon. But all that low-light photography requires a tripod. I have a tripod, and I've used it. I've, you know, it's been good to me. A while ago, I bought a large telephoto lens. It's a 600-millimeter lens, uh, not cheap. It's a very large zoom lens. It's like looking through binoculars. And I realized, well, my tripod's not really big enough for this lens. You know, when I put this heavy lens on the camera on that tripod, it there's a, a camera shake, all right? So the it, it doesn't hold it perfectly steady. And obviously with a tripod, when you're doing low light, uh, low light shots, you know, we're talking about long exposures, shutter being open for 30 seconds, that camera's got to be 100% still. But when you put that heavy lens on the end, it's going to have a hard time staying still like that. So I went down to the camera store on the morning that I was leaving the Grand Can- to go to the Grand Canyon. So I left my house. I had everything packed up into my car, including all my camera equipment. I wasn't going back home. I figured I'd stop on stop at the camera store on my way out of town to see what what they had for larger tripod options. Or if there was a way to modify my existing tripod. I'd done a little research and seen that, you know, there were some articles talking about how that traditional ball head on the top of a tripod is not overly stable. So they suggested different types of heads. So when I went to this uh, camera store, they were, uh, that's what I asked. I was asking about different types of heads or if I should just buy a whole new tripod system. Well, 20 minutes later, I walked out uh, with a an entirely new tripod system that cost me about $700. And, and that's that's what I mean. Completely impulsive impulsive shopping and you're sitting there thinking now why why is that that's very that's an expensive purchase that i didn't really plan for or intend to spend i mean <clears throat> excuse me so why buy this particular tripod and throw this much money i mean i can afford it but, you know, most normal people, when they're making a purchase of that size, they shop around a little bit. They, they think about it. They consider if that's really uh, what they need or whatever. I went into a store. I looked at like two or three. I picked the one that I liked the most, and I bought it. And that was it. And there's a couple of reasons, I think, behind that. One of the things that at least for me that I think this is a, a a big part of why that is people with borderline change hobbies and interests very very quickly all the time a lot of times our hobbies and interests will mimic someone else's hobbies and interests that's close to us 
so, you know, whatever. My best friend likes photography and he's getting into photography, so I'm going to give it a shot. So rather than giving it a shot and just trying and, you know, using some of his equipment, I'm going to go out and buy all my own equipment. Now think about this. Emotions are intense. Emotions are intense, including our desire to do something. So I look at maybe some photography stuff that my friend has. I look at uh, some of the pictures that he takes. I look at some of the trips he's gone on for the intention of photography, taking pictures. And I think to myself, that's what I want to do. I don't want to ease into it over the next six months. I want to do that right now. And that emotion is intense. And also in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I might change my mind in a few days or a few weeks or after I try this. So I need to... Now, this is where it's interesting because a normal person would say, well, yes, if you don't know if you're going to like it, then why spend all that money on it before you know? Valid, except if I don't spend that money and I don't have the equipment that I like, it's not going to capture my long-term interest. That's the way that someone with borderline is going to look at it. It's not going to capture my long-term interest if I just go buy a little point and shoot and I try to do what he's doing with his equipment. I'm not going to make the same pictures. I'm not going to have as much fun. And I know I will lose interest in a few days. And then that $100 on that camera will be a waste of money. So I'm better off spending $800 and going all in from the beginning. So changing interests and hobbies because new people constantly come in and out of our lives and I'm going to I'm going to look at their hobbies and interests and I'm going to end up subconsciously picking some of theirs and trying to incorporate them into myself. Someone with borderline has a hard time with their uh, identity keeping their unique identity as this is me. Instead, they they look at everybody else and they try to formulate a composite of everybody else that's in their life. And that's what someone with borderline uh, ends up being, essentially, is a, a composite of the people that are close to them. I can't be a composite of my friend who does photography if I just go buy a little point and shoot or if I use his equipment. The other thing is, you know, with the with me buying this tripod system, you know, I do that because I'm going to the Grand Canyon. That part's impulsive. I don't want to go all the way to the Grand Canyon, struggle with photography with a short little tripod, so I want to have something that's going to work for this trip, and I'm leaving right now. So part of that impulsive shopping might be the impulsive trip or other form of unwinding, and now I need this other stuff. It wouldn't be uncommon for me to be like, oh, I'm going, I'm, you know, decide one morning I'm going to go on a trip this afternoon to the Grand Canyon, and in the few hours before I leave, Go buy some new clothes. Go buy some food to take with, obviously. 
go buy, like I said, new tripod, new camera equipment, something expensive there. And maybe while I'm at the store, I see, uh, oh, look, here's a, here's a, a large Bluetooth speaker that I could buy and I could listen to music while I'm taking pictures, you know, standing in the, uh, on the rim of the canyon. I could, I could listen to some music, so I'll buy that. All this random stuff. All a root of this emotion overload. And when you look at it from the outside, it's it's like this is a crazy person. But to me, it makes perfect sense. That that's what I do, you know? If you have borderline and you relate to this, you know, when you go buy something, when you have that impulsive behavior, it, it makes sense to you. It makes so much sense that, like I said with the tripod, me not buying that tripod... Uh, was uh was out of the question i couldn't not buy it i had to have it because the other side of it remember strong strong emotions so the reason i went in was to look at the tripod and she looks and she you know the sales associate basically tells me yeah that little tripod's not going to work for that heavy lens and now i'm thinking well shit i i paid fourteen hundred dollars for this lens and I guess I can't even use it properly without the tripod, without the right tripod, huh? So now I'm thinking, well, that was a waste of $1,400 unless I buy this tripod to use it with. And if I don't buy the tripod, the lens was a waste of money. Not only was the lens a waste of money, but now I'm gonna, now that I realize that and I've connected the dots that I did waste $1,400 on this lens, now I'm just going to get upset with myself I'm never going to make the pictures I want to make with this lens if I don't buy this tripod. And I'm going to start to get turned off from photography. And I'm probably most impulsive when it comes to photography, more so than anything else uh, in my life, at least right now. And I think the reason is because these changing hobbies and interests, photography is one that has actually uh, become close to me. And I've, I've stuck with it for longer than probably any of my other hobbies and interests that I've I've ever had. I've had lots of short-lived hobbies. But photography stuck around. And I think a, a part of me when I'm looking at this tripod and I'm thinking about this 600mm lens, the $1,400 part that I might start to look at as a waste of money. I won't be able to make the pictures I want. I think a part of me is another emotion that comes in while I'm thinking about buying this new tripod is an element of fear. What if I don't like, what if I go on this trip and it's a massive failure and I put my camera away and I never take it out again and I lose that part of my personality? Photography is also really close to me because I actually lied earlier I didn't get into photography from uh from a friend I use that as an illustration or as an example I don't have a friend that is real into photography that I mimicked photography is one of those things that I exposed myself to in college I took a photography class I made that choice myself and I ended up liking it and I got interested in it 
and it's it's a part of my personality now that I hold close to my heart specifically because of that fact because I know that that is the real me. That's what I like doing. I'm not just trying something that I, someone else that I like is is doing or is into. This is a, a big part of my personality which defines me. And if you suffer from BPD and you have identity issues, that's that's huge. That's huge if you have a hard time identifying the core parts of your personality. Who am I? And that and that's huge. And but you know, like I said, someone who doesn't have this and is maybe dating someone or married to someone or just friends with someone that has BPD, they look like they're over dramatic. They look like they're a drama queen. They look like they just are an idiot with their finances and, and impulsive behavior. And impulsive behavior could be anything other than shopping. It could be it could be all kinds of different things. For some people it's uh alcohol, drugs, other high risk behavior, high risk uh high risk sex, unprotected sex, random sex, things like that. Anything that in some ways, could be an emotion overload, a response to emotion overload. In some ways, it could be a craving for adrenaline. I know I'm a major adrenaline junkie. But I guess my point in all of this that I want, whether you have BPD or not, or you know someone who does and whatever, it's it's a little bit upsetting to me that when websites list symptoms, for example, or there's articles studying BPD, I don't think that these people that study it actually take the time to understand the reasons why that might be. And, for example, if you're a psychiatrist that sees patients with BPD, you might you might be able to recognize BPD because you see these impulsive behaviors and you see this emotion overload happening. And that's awesome that you can spot it, but I don't think you can treat it if you don't understand the real reasons why that person feels the need to be impulsive. And the same thing if you're say you're married to someone with BPD. You might know that they have BPD and that causes them to go make random large purchases out of impulsiveness and you might you might understand that that's the way that person is and is always going to be but you can't really love them and help them deal with that if you don't understand why they feel the need to do that and i think a big part of well, I know a big part of why I started this podcast originally. I've kind of gotten away from, you know, the last few weeks of of focusing on topics directly related to BPD. But every once in a while, I want to I want to do that, and I want to talk about this condition, and I want to talk about some of the reasons why we feel that way about 
certain things. Because that information doesn't, to me, that information is not sufficiently available. I've talked about before, most people have absolutely no idea what, they've never even heard the term borderline personality disorder. And every time I would say it to someone that didn't know it, thought that I was saying I was borderline like close to having a personality disorder. I'm a borderline personality disorder, and that is not what it is, folks. And that was the thing that, that term is one of the things that was most upsetting to me. It's it's the the term itself that misleads uh, people that don't know what it is. It is a personality disorder that was given a misnomer, misnamed borderline. And that's the label that I'm stuck with because that's what they call it. But neither here nor there, I guess. One of the reasons that I I started the podcast was to talk about this. And that's why, like I say, I want to kind of, every so often, I I don't need to every episode. I, I think a majority of the listening audience really doesn't know anything about Borderline or deal with it, but I think we we need to talk about it once in a while, especially from the fact that one thing that I have learned is even people that don't have it certainly uh, deal with the same emotions. And Borderline is a an emotion control issue. So everyone has issues with unchecked emotions once in a while, and I think if I can find a way to help myself with those emotions, someone else who also has the same emotions would benefit from that potentially, from the knowledge that, number one, you're not alone. I mean, we're all in this together, whether whether you have some type of mental illness or not. Every human being on the face of the planet struggles with similar issues from day to day. We can't get around that. So we're all in it together. And now that I'm just starting to ramble and don't even know what I'm talking about anymore, uh, we're probably going to wrap this up. Um, I hope that your Christmas is better than mine. Uh, Like I said, I'm... (laughs) I'm not doing anything. I'm just going to be boringly working. I hope you get to spend Christmas with your family, your kids, your friends, you know, those people that really matter to you. And uh, I'll talk to you again in the new year. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. Have a Happy New Year. And remember that no matter what you are doing for the holidays or how you feel, even if you have a similar situation as me for this Christmas season, always remember that you actually are not alone. I'll talk to you next time.
Patrick Coggan, and I want to wish a very Merry Christmas to my family in Tennessee and to my beautiful girlfriend in California. I miss you all, and I'll be home soon. My name is Specialist Brooke Frisk, and I'm in Baghdad, Iraq. I would like to wish all my family and friends in Georgia and Wisconsin a very Merry Christmas. I'm really going to miss spending the holiday. I'll see you guys real soon. Love you guys. I am dreaming tonight of a place I love even more than I usually do. And although I know it's a long road back, I
Salvation's reason to celebrate On the day The day that you Hey, it's Jay, creator and host of Third Degree Mind Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I wanted to close really quick by reminding you that Third Degree Mind is produced primarily for entertainment purposes and is not intended to treat or diagnose any mental illness and is not intended to replace clinical psychiatry. I am not a licensed therapist or physician, so if you feel that you need mental health treatment, please always seek that appropriate care in your area. If you're feeling actively suicidal, please call 911 or take yourself to an emergency room. If you're in the U.S., you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255 or contact them using their online chat service at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And once again, they are available 24-7. Please have a safe and happy holiday season.